Hi, my name's Penny, and welcome to the Real World Podcast. I think there's some things that we're not talking about, so this is me talking about it. On this podcast, I'm going to be interviewing people I know and people I don't, asking some difficult questions and hopefully getting some answers. Today I'm talking with Roy Christopher. In his own words, he is an aging BMX bike and skateboarding zine kid, but I know him as a former professor. Um, if there's anything you want to say about what I told you the project is now about as a cisgendered white male. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. The, I mean, the, the one thing that I, given all of that and the climate, it just feels like my job is to enable and get out of the way as a, you know, cishet old white male. But you're not that old. And I think you, it's very interesting to me because I feel like you connect a lot with your students and you taught at an art school. So obviously you're aware of like a lot of things. So do you feel like it's your place to protest something or to talk about something because people will listen to you? I mean, no, no, I think, I think that's one of the, that's one of the problems, especially when it comes to people who are already in a place like I'm just now starting to get the door to open to where I can publish and do things like my the first book I wrote for a publisher just came out two years ago and so the stuff that I'm doing is just now happening um so I feel like the the need to say something like we've gone from having something to say to to having to say something I feel like that's part of the problem is like people are just expected like Quaker Oats supports Black Lives Who gives a shit about Quaker Oats? Am I allowed to cuss? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Like I, you know, there are a lot of things like that I feel like I shouldn't, they're outside my, I, you know, supporting things and being an ally for things is one thing, but having to have, having to use your voice to say, I, you know, I mean, those are not the same thing. So if asked, sure, I will say something, but I don't feel like it's my place or that there's a need for me to jump into those kinds of conversations. Um, You know, like I just wrote a book about hip hop, the book I wrote about hip hop. And there are a lot of like, um, for a long time, I felt like I shouldn't write this book. Like I'm not the person who should write this book. And I kept putting it off. And then I was just like, no, I'm a huge fan of this culture. I'm a huge fan of this music. And I feel like I have something to say about it that isn't being said. Yes, I'm doing it as an older white male. But if someone has a problem with that part of it, then that's, I can't change that, right? But if, if you, that's, but that rarely comes up. Most people who are into it and have read the book are like, you know, they're into it too. We're fans, we're all fans. So it's not, it doesn't matter that I'm a white male. And the only time that ever comes up is with other white males. <laughs> Nobody think- else ever brings it up. <laughs> I think most people are so happy that somebody is interested in the same thing as them. And you don't think about like, Oh, like I, when I met you, I didn't think, oh man, there's this cisgendered white old guy. I didn't think you were actually a professor. I thought you were a student at first when I first saw you. (laughs) Um, So like, I never, I never felt like that was a, a thing that I thought about. I do feel like I, like as a person from a small Southern town, I always, being mixed race, I was taught about my culture from white people. Like they knew more about it than me. Like they right. were teaching me like, oh, like your hair is fine. Like there's nothing wrong with it. Like they were more accepting than people from my own community. Right. Yeah, that's, 
that uh, yeah I don't there's a weird there are several different things tied up more than several different things tied up in this idea of um, the kind of power structure and who needs to say what and who needs to support what and it's it's not as simple as just having like being who I am and saying certain things it has to do with, in the in the book I talk about how um, part of solving the problem is not just about making room for people, it's about changing the defaults. So the defaults being, you know, who, when I say CEO, who do you think of, right? That shouldn't be the, right? That's the default I'm talking about. It's like the default of power, the default of like, what's the normal person? What's the regular, right? What does that look like? That's, there's something that we think of in that place and that's what has to change. It has to be like a, a broader cultural change. And that takes more than just you know diversity hires and bullshit like that right yeah i mean i i think you've talked a lot about in class and sort of in your book or maybe just conversations we've had that music changes a lot of things and it's i think specifically in another interview i saw you said that hip-hop is the blueprint of the future mm. and i feel like when i listen to a lot of things that are popular now it's not even the hip-hop that i would think of as art like it's it's not even do you know what i mean like they're not rhyming they're not saying something important they're just like swearing or doing drugs or like it's not it's no longer this beautiful piece of art so what if that's the future what are we going to do with this right yeah that's one of the that was the argument for dead precedents that was like the backbone of the whole thing was that the subculture of hip-hop is the blueprint for the future and it only really goes up to I mean, if you if you look at it as a, it's not really a historical document, but if you look at it as a historical document, it kind of ends in the 20th century. It doesn't even talk about what's happened since then. There are some artists I talk about in there, but um, I think that what the, the phenomenon you're talking about has always been there. Like if you go back to, people think that the 80s hip hop and 90s hip hop was so great, but that shit wasn't on the radio. You didn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't you had to find the good stuff. So the stuff that was out that everybody heard was not these was not these great pieces of art. Those things get kind of retrofitted, you know, as we look back and canonize different things. And so I think that there's there's still a lot of great stuff going on right now. It's just not what you hear in the air. So I think there are, I mean, there is a future still in hip hop that's happening now. It's just not, you know, the prevalent styles. And, but it, again, that's always been the case, so. But why is it that we're sort of in this age of like, oh, everybody's great, like every life matters and we're trying to be so accepting, but then we have things on the radio or in mainstream media that don't support that. If the underground hip hop community is talking about something important, why isn't that what's on the radio? Why isn't that what's mainstream? That, again, that's that's always been the case. And the but the problem now is that that dichotomy between mainstream and underground is not as clear cut as it used to be. And now it's the mainstream is like this tiny little sliver of things. And the underground is all of these different things. Um, people can sell millions of records or have millions of streams or whatever the fuck they do now. And it'll be somebody you've never heard of. Right. That didn't used to, we talked about this in class, but that didn't used to be the case. Like everybody watched the same shows and the same movies and listened to the same, nobody does that anymore, right? <laughs> you will look at year end top 10 lists of records and they'll be, yeah, I've never heard of any of this shit. 
oh wait, here's another list, 50 more I've never heard of. And it's like, I put together my 20 and it's like, they don't, there's no overlap anymore because we're all in these little, little lanes. And so the part of that's part of it is the infrastructure is a different, it's a different kind of setup because of the way that the media is now is um, splintered in so many different ways. But also again, the, that's your, and there's another thing going on there, which is the idea of art versus commerce. And I, I question this all the time too. Why can't great things be the popular things? They just aren't. They just never are. <laughs> I don't know why the good stuff can't be, but it just isn't. And that's a different question though, from making an argument about the great art. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, how does the portrayal of people in media, music and books and the way we tell stories, who's the villain, who's the hero, what's normal, what's not normal, change the way society moves forward as a whole? Well, it's a mirror, right? I mean, that's the simplest argument. Um, if you, if you, you can look at this historically as well. If you go back and look at um, horror movies are a really great place to look at this. If you look at horror movies and you look at representation, but you can also look at just like, what are the anxieties of the different times? Like in the eighties, it was the cold war and the nuclear bomb. And so you see these metaphors in horror movies for those kinds of things. And then computers and networks and, you know, that was all the bad stuff, right? Um, but yeah, if you go back and look, uh, things like the George Romero, what's the George, first George Romero movie in 68, Dawn of the Dead? Oh. One something of the dead. Um, yeah. Wait, wait. A, is it? Or is it Night of the Living Dead? I think that's it. Yeah, I was like, it's one of those because there's several movies that just have the Living Dead. Right, but his the main the first one he did in '68 with the black male lead. Um, he didn't do that on purpose. He did it because the guy was like the best person for the role. And from what I've read, I mean, of course, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't. I'm old, but I wasn't around in '68. <laughs> um, uh, but that was a huge deal, right? Having a black male in a lead role in 1968 was a, was a big deal. And it changed a lot of people's attitudes. And, um, so even things like, uh, symbolically just seeing someone on the screen who looks like you, that's, that's huge. That's a huge thing that, that, you know, again, people who are, you know, white and already in power don't think about because they're used to seeing themselves on the screen. They don't think about what that feels like because it's always been the case for them. So yeah, it makes a huge difference. I mean, when, you know, when Obama became president, it was like, that changes the world for the way, you know, this is now possible for a different group, whole different group of people because it's happened now. That's, that's even just symbolically, even if he was the worst president ever, which he wasn't, but even if he, if he even if he were, it's like, that's still like a symbolic. So yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing to see diversity on the screen, see diversity, because it, it makes other things possible, just being able to see the path to something. Um, though, I, can I? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things I think that we're struggling with now as a, as a culture and as like a kind of creating media is the um, remaking an old story with an updated cast, which drives me fucking crazy. So bad, so bad. Like we, we're, we're scared to tell the new story with the new, you know, diverse crew um, because we're afraid we're gonna lose everyone. So we'll do High Fidelity, but now it's a black woman who runs the record store. Or we'll do Winona Earp instead of doing <laughs> Like, what, let's redo uh, 
a known racist author, H.P. Lovecraft, and we'll do all black characters. Like, why can't we tell the new stories? Like, I mean, I know it's a step, but it's annoying because it's like, we don't, we still don't, we don't want to scare all the white people away. So we'll tell, you know, so we have to keep something in there. It's like, uh, Nick Kroll uses the, uh, the analogy or the, the metaphor of he, he was scared of Brussels sprouts, like eating Brussels sprouts was really scary to him. So he brought along bacon and now bacon can be their friend and it makes it okay. So it's like, you know, you can't do it all at once. You can't just have all Brussels sprouts. You have to, you have to ease it in with like something that people are familiar with. So you use a familiar story, you switch up the characters and that's how you ease it in. But then when it fails and they go, no, we tried that and they just move on to something else. And that's the, you know, that's the problem with um, diversity hires and tokenism and when something becomes a hashtag, it's like, it comes and goes. It has the danger of disappearing again. And I think that's the, that's the problem we're struggling with now is like, there's the, you know, we have these shifts and these changes, but you know, it's a, it's a cultural, like I said before, it's a cultural change. We have to change the defaults and that takes a long time to do. So. I'm really glad you brought up specifically those movies. And I, I've always had sort of a problem with them, but I thought, it, you talked about Afrofuturism in your book, and it, I'm just talking about your book. We're bringing up your book. I'm putting a link <laughs> in the podcast. Um, go buy Dead Precedents. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but Afrofuturism, and there are these amazing Black authors that are not getting movies made, and somehow we're just going to keep telling the old stories and just changing a little bit. Right. Instead of doing stories that actually have black characters, Asian characters, people who are not cisgendered white people, and you just decide not to tell those stories because it's too risky. Yeah, that's one of the great things about what we were saying about the splintering of media, though, is the control of that changes, right? We can make our, anybody can make their own things. And that's, that's bad because that's where you get all the shitty hip hop because, oh, I'll just, I can just rap, I can just talk about drugs and whatever. But people who are talented and who are have stories to tell can go ahead and do them and it, 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 it enables that. Sun Rai, I quoted him in the book, he used to say to, you know, he was quoted as saying that he saw the movie um, Logan's Run, 1975, and he's like, and there ain't no black people in it. I guess they don't want us, they are not expecting us to be around in the future. And that was one of the seeds to agrofuturism. That was one of the things is like, cause that's actually a quote from Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor used to do a joke about that where he would say, you know, he saw, I saw, I saw Logan's run and there are no black people. And I guess they don't expect us to be around. He's like, he, and the next line though, that gets left out is he said, that's why we need to make our own movies. Right. And he's saying this in the seventies. Um, so that's the thing is like, fuck the, you know, the cis white males <laughs> in power, make your own shit. Like a lot of them are doing that too. A lot of them who aren't in power and don't have money. Like we're, there's a, definitely a lot of stuff to be done within the structure, but there's also a room, room for doing it outside the structure. Um, and now the, it's never been easier to do that, to make your own stuff. So that's it. Thank you for joining me on the Real World Podcast. It was nice talking with you today. 